Welcome back to Firewall. As usual, I'm your host, Bradley Tusk. And as usual, this is a Tuesday episode. So with me is our friend and producer, Hugo Lundgren. Hugo, how's it going? Uh, it's going okay. Um, we're in New York City on a Monday morning. And it's just like one of those summer days in New York where you're like, wait, what? how am I going to make it? No, I, I just drove in from upstate and what's normally an hour and 45 minute drive was 3.15. So. What's your favorite part of that terrible drive? Do you like, which, which road did you take into the You know what's funny? So, to, to Connick, which is both oh. lovely but very hard to drive on. Yeah. And then 87 to the F, there was a accident on the FDR. There was a fire truck blocking two of the three lanes downtown. So 87, it took me an hour on the FDR from the Triborough to my garage. And how's your general mental state when, when put in that kind of situation? Are you, are you sort of like calm and I was zen, actually like I'm going to make I it? was pretty calm because it was just sort of like, okay, if I miss stuff, I miss stuff. Nothing was like right. world changing that I was working, doing next. And um, not to say that this podcast isn't important. Seriously, moment, you kept us waiting. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I made some calls from the car and I listened to a lot of podcasts. But um, What did you listen to? I listen to the Locked On Mets. So there's now I now pretty much every day listen to the Daily Mets podcast because I'm beyond obsessed with this thing. So Soto coming? No, yes. That no. was what the whole point of the podcast was. And? Should they trade for Soto? This guy said yes. Okay, and what do you think? Uh, I'm not sure. Okay. Um, I listened to one called Ear Hustle about kind of life in prison. That was pretty interesting. I listened to the last two episodes of Mother Country Radical, which is about the Weathermen, and then I listened to No Stupid Questions and. Uh, what was the last one to listen to? Oh, like the town, which was like about like the streaming wars and stuff like that. Wow, that's an impressive um, array. If if Bill Simmons had had a podcast today, I probably just would have listened to. Yeah, that but he's off. He's, he's off, off for the for summer. Yeah, this is when we make our move. Right, and we gain all of his listeners. <laughs> Firewall yeah, is going to exactly. overtake the ringer. Here we go. Um, Bradley, why don't you bring um, listeners up to speed with what we're going to do today, which is kind of a continuation of our conversation from a week ago. What are we doing? And then a pivot. So, and a, and a pivot. First of all, um, for all of you who listened to all of last week's episode, I know it was a really long one. It was pretty heavy stuff. Thank you. Uh, number two, as you probably heard, by the end of it, if you listen to the whole thing, you get a free coffee. So come well, on wait, now. Wait, to, wait, people are now going to take advantage of it. But you only get a now. free coffee if you come, you have to come by here. P&T yeah, Knitwear. Come We're to P&T Knitwear, 182 yeah. Orchard. 180. 180? Yeah. Oh, what, where did you go to This is why we don't have enough business. You're telling everyone <laughs> the wrong address. Oh, my God. I fucked up again. Okay. 180 Orchard. Yep. And you have to ask for the cup of coffee. But we have to say that Rutger Bregman sent me. Right. right. Or there Did was someone it? else, too, that we had, but I forget who you, it was now. There was, like, another person that was even more... Oh, around. it was James Q. Wilson, I think? James Q. Wilson, yeah. yeah. See so how, see how well I remember? Two. Yeah. Okay. So what are we talking about? So so the, the follow-up from last week, if, if you remember, is in one of the sort of sections I was talking about kind of the different worldviews that, that people have, which really shape the policy choices and the personal choices that they make. And to me, kind of the quintessential way to think about it is sort of the difference between Rousseau, Hobbes, and Locke. And what I tried to do for last week, but just kind of ran out of time and brain, brain power, was to say, how would you kind of reinterpret all three of them in today's 21st century context? And so I did a little bit of work um, over the weekend trying to, to do that. So I'll, I'll just back up yeah. for one second. Just, yeah. So why do you, I mean, obviously, Hobbes and Rousseau and, and I'm going to explain their underlying Okay, our major, yeah. our major sort of philosophical, political theorists. But why do you go to them? Is this like a class you took once that just no, is like stuck in your mind? Or no, like- I, I just always find it to be, the, for two things. One, it's the best encapsulation to me of two very different ways of looking at the world that are still predominant in politics today. Two, Hobbes and Rousseau, yeah. and then Locke kind of in the middle. middle yeah. right. And then two, 
Trump is the ultimate Hobbesian, right? So we just had four years of a person who, I'm sure he's never heard of Hobbes, but, but who completely subscribes to Hobbes' theory. Um, so you can subscribe to Hobbes' theory without, without knowing who he is. I yeah, guess that's I, I assume Trump did. So right. like, that, I guess that's, that well, is the Hobbes way, yeah, right? You just, right, it influences you. So we just live this sort of incredible, terrible experiment of what happens when you see true Hobbesian practice and you know, nature and practice. So those are the reasons why I think it kind of hits me as something to think about. Okay, so um, how should we start this out? I, I'm just going to go through my notes quickly. You want to, okay. Is, yeah, I'm going to talk about, the, just summarize what it is that they believe and then kind of how I think it applies to today's world and okay. then you'll, we'll jump to the question. Okay. So, all right, so Hobbes' thesis is everyone is created equal but everyone only does what they need to do to survive. Everyone suffers from fear of violent death. Life is solitary, poor, nasty, brutish, and short. Everyone is against each other. Everything is a zero-sum game. And to him, the only answer is to create a supreme power that imposes law and order, and that has absolute power um, at all costs all of the time, right? So every time someone wins, someone else loses. We're all in competition with each other. Um, and you know, if you take like Trump as the example, Trump didn't really even understand where the limits of his authority were from trying to. Uh, well, he didn't a, really think there were any limits. Yeah, but it, you know, anything from trying to like you know make Comey you know just do what he wants from sort of a Godfather like conversation to January sixth. Um, you know, this is ultimately which is we have to impose law and order on the people for their own good, um, and as a result. You know, we just need a monarch of some kind. And I think Trump very much saw himself as a monarch. From a policy perspective, what would it mean today? What actually ha has it meant, right? Less immigration, which has really hurt our economy. Um, less trade, which has hurt our economy. Less global, global military cooperation, which, you know, thank God, in a way, the Ukraine didn't happen until after Trump left office because he'd probably be helping Putin right now. Um, it would mean that you only address problems that impact and hurt you directly. So for example, climate change, while a global problem that affects all of us, on a day-to-day -day basis, it affects very few of us. And as a result, because it's not affecting you, it's not hurting you at that individual moment, um, you ignore it. So how do you think that changes once the effects of climate change are, are more People severe start to feel and more it. widespread? You know, when, when, and it's, look, it's gonna be first, unfortunately, as it always is, uh, people in developing countries, you know, Southeast Asia, parts of Africa that are on the equator, really hot parts of Latin America, uh, that are going to suffer the most from extreme heat and droughts and all of that. But, but my, my question though is, no, what's the, the Hobbesian response to that once it once oh, it I hits see. home? Like I, that's what Ho I can't Ho tell. Hobbes, I, th I think, would just say, when the time comes with the people who have power to do something about it, they'll do it. Right, they'll just... And they may only do it to protect themselves, and that's fine, because they're the ones that accumulated power, which means they won. Okay. So that, I think it's how Hobbes, Hobbes would see it. Uh, but basically, it's a, there's eight and a half billion people on the planet, and it's every man for himself, right? It's a very Fox News view of the world. It's very absolutist. Um, so that's, that's kind of the Hobbesian approach. So the second would be Locke. Same basic thesis as Hobbes in terms of the need for a social contract to ensure peace, but Locke argues that national, natural rights, so life, liberty, property, exist in the state of nature and cannot be taken away. So they're inalienable rights. Uh, and a king or whoever's in charge does not hold absolute power. So if the rights are violated, people can rebel. And this was the theory behind the Declaration of Independence. And basically, it's governed lightly. Um, and he sees it with the legislature really holding supreme authority. And in many ways, this was kind of the U.S. 
approach to governance uh, since, I would say, World War II prior to Trump, right, which was kind of finding this balance between the executive branch and the legislative branch, between, um, you know, government action and individual action, um, and sometimes getting it right, sometimes getting it wrong. But nonetheless, you know, I think we've engaged in an active Lockean attempt to try to run our society. Um, and then ultimately, you know, what's interesting is because Locke does not only talk about re revolution, but kind of condones it, right? And so both the U.S. and then France happened. I, you know, I spent a little time thinking, about what would Locke think of January 6th, right? And I think even though, because people like me like to think that Locke is our closest uh, comp, so that therefore, if I hate January 6th, and so would Locke, I'm not sure, right? Locke might argue that the people who did that genuinely feel oppressed. They genuinely feel like they're Although, rights, interestingly, yeah. what were they trying to do? They were trying to install... A monarch, really, right? Yeah. So that's is that a is that a revolution? It feels like the opposite of I a revolution. Mean, yes and no, right? Like every every revolution replaces somebody with somebody else, and half the time that person, someone else, does behave like a monarch, and half the time they don't. But um, just such an interesting yeah. cause, right? That they're trying to. I mean, it it, it felt so un. Well, all of it does, right? Like like not taking. Putting your, your life at risk to not take vaccinations to make some sort of political point is fucking crazy, and yet a third of the country has chosen to do that. So, so that's the Lockean vote. And then the, the Rousseau is, man is naturally good. And when I say man here, he, that's just because it was a you know, sexist society of people are naturally good and corrupted by society. Social contract is just a way for the rich to control people. We need to protect everyone's freedom through a direct democracy where everyone votes to express the general will. And the morality of the state is not distinct from the morality of its citizens. So whatever that we should want for ourselves, we should want for the state and vice versa. So it's much more about equality than Hobbes, which is about maintaining order, or Locke, which is about protecting our basic rights. And look, I find Rousseau very appealing in certain ways because, you know, he, in many ways, I, th I think is the manifestation of the stuff we're doing on mobile voting, right, which is... Let's make democracy as widespread and available to as many people as possible. But why, why, why is that more, more Rousseau than Locke? Because Rousseau's point is um, the more and more direct our governance is, the more direct, the more the individual people have a say in it on a regular basis, mm -hmm. um, the more legitimate. Is that anti-Locke, though? No, it's, it's like Locke times 10. I think okay. it's anti-Hobbesian for sure. Um, and so mobile voting really is that, right? Mobile voting is the attempt to make governance, at least electoral decisions, widely available. And, you know, the mobile voting team hates when I say this, so I'm sure they're going to cringe when they hear me. But I don't totally oppose the notion of one day a fully liquid democracy where we don't necessarily need elected representatives and we can all vote on everything via plebiscite on our phone instantaneously. California already kind of does this through the referendum process. I'm not advocating That's a far that. away from... Yeah, that, but right? I, I do think Because the that, referendum process is so bloated and long-running sure. and expensive. And but, 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 I, but I do think that there is a world where you could have a far more liquid democracy than we have mm -hmm. today. That would be far more representative of the will of the people. And I think that, you know, if I like to think that if Rousseau were alive today and I pitched him mobile voting, he would think it's a good idea. So who is a Rousseauian? So if, if Hobbes is, if, if Trump is Hobbes, right. who is the Rousseauian figure of our times? It's interesting, right? Because what you would want to say is you'd go the other way and say Bernie Sanders, AOC, someone like that. No, but aren't they Hobbes figures too? <sighs> yeah, that's the point. They, they, right. they want power as well. They want their views to be power. I guess they're also a little bit Lockean in terms of, of, of revolution and rebellion. So in terms of trying to give the most rights and the most opportunity to the most people, 
I mean, again, I'm biased, but I would say it's the people who are championing universal basic income, right? These are people who are saying, let's take money from people who have it and directly put it in the pockets of people who don't. Who is doing, who is, if now that Andrew Yang is, you know, not likely to run for president again, um, who's the leading UBI person? Yeah, I mean, there? so there, there's a bunch of people in Silicon Valley like Paul Graham and Sam Altman who, who have definitely spent a lot of time on this. Obviously, MLK originated the idea, Andrew Yang repopularized it. Look, maybe one of the reasons we keep talking about firewalls, I'm trying to keep the notion alive. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think that um, redistribution of wealth in a pure way that does not involve so much self-corruption because a Sanders, AOC, Elizabeth Warren world involves half the money getting frittered away to, to their buddies who fatten their campaign coffers and provide volunteers and donors and everything else. You know, if you want this to be true and direct and democratic, you would, it would go from point A to point B directly. So I kind of think the UBI fans or, or advocates are sort of the most resowing people out there today. But but the fact that you can't really name a political figure who's a Rousseauian, does that mean that it's not really an effective political philosophy in terms of building a career and building a following? Yeah, maybe may, may, may so. But I think that definitionally everyone who runs for office wants power. Right? right, they want validation. They want affirmation. Hobbes was kind of Hobbes was right in the way he described elected officials, right? Which is desperate for power, desperate for validation. It is a zero sum game for them. Literally, they have their job because someone else lost the job, right? Um, so they're not going to be advocates for a direct democracy taking away their power, just in the same way that we're going to have to fight all of them to make mobile voting happen. Um, so I really think it's the people who see the internet as a democratic institution, um, whether it's people trying to bank the unbanked through the blockchain or people doing Web3 to try to reduce the power that a Facebook or Amazon or Google might have. Um, I, I think those are actually the people right now who are the closest to it. Okay. So um, Hobbes, it's a dumb question, but it's going to be fun. Hobbes, Rousseau, and Locke are on the ballot for 2024 running against each other for president. Who wins? Who wins? That's interesting. So, so Hobbes is... The Trumpian candidate. Right, but not Trump. But not Trump. We're not going to... Oh, and we don't sorry. actually know if... Look, Trump's a brilliant Democrat, right? right? We don't know if Hobbes was or not, right? Um, or at least I don't know. I'm sure Hobbes scholars know. Um, Locke would probably be Biden, right? Or just sort of the mainstream Democrat, whoever it is. Yeah, he's definitely not a... Yeah, he's and then Rousseau is almost like the Green Party candidate or the Libertarian candidate, like someone that is so far removed but a lot of the green, from the mainstream. I, I, the Green type, they, they, they want serious controls over everything. I mean, the, there's something like, I mean, climate is an issue where you, I mean, people have said this before, you know, like China is going to be much better off dealing with, with sort of the effects of climate change because they have a command you know, government. So I was last night, I had, we had dinner with two people who work at the UN and, and I was talking to one of them and I was saying... Why shouldn't China be at like 100% vaccination if you have a society where you can tell everyone what to do and if they were able to build hospitals in Wuhan in two weeks? And his point was China may not be as impressive as you think. You know, they really botched the development of their vaccine. They really And they also are not using Western vaccines, right? right? They refuse so to use it as a point of pride. And as a result, you know, only, I don't know, like he said, like a third of China is vaccinated or less. Um, and so as a result, they have a completely now closed country with the zero COVID policy, which doesn't really make any sense. But you would think for the same reason that they should be good at climate change, they should have been good at vaccinating people. And that seemed to not be the case. Right. Um, I found it interesting. I was as I was I was trying to you know 
trigger the the return of all my high school knowledge of Locke and Rousseau. And, See, and this Hobbes. is where our high school is a little different. You went to Trinity where they taught that <laughs> stuff. I went to a public school where like a third of the kids didn't graduate. <laughs> well, the, um, so I, well, I, I don't know if it's any better because I had to I had to spend a lot of time trying to you know get back up to speed. But they and you, your command of it's much greater than mine. So what does that tell you? Um, but the there was a great little essay in the London Review of Books that talked about how um, Hobbes was likely very influenced by um, plagues and pandemics in his political philosophy. Sure, um, because a they happened a lot when he was um, when he was alive. But he also did the uh, uh, the first translation of the history of the Peloponnesian War, which is all about like yeah. a you know a sort of plague era. Um, so anyway, it was, it was fascinating because you 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 think about as we come out of the, are we coming out of the pandemic i guess we're not but but sort the of. but the the pandemic does make well, people I, very yeah, hobbesian I, and that's also the most generous interpretation of hobbes right which is what you're saying hobbes saw a world that was completely handcuffed by plague by pandemic and in order to create the greatest chance of survival he advocated for a very, a very strong government system. right yeah. Yeah. That would be, I guess, the, the, the best way that you, you could portray Hobbes right now. So th- we've talked all about this in a, in, a, in a political context. How is it valuable in a um, sort of entrepreneurial or business context? Yeah, I mean, I think um, the way you treat your employees, right? It's like t- t- there's different schools of thought. So I, and I've, I've said this before. I run my businesses at a lower margin than I could. I could make more money in a lot of stuff that I do if I were tougher on you know leave policies, if we didn't subsidize 100% of everyone's health care and benefits, if we didn't pay as well as we did, everything else. Uh, but And there are people who are in you know adjunct businesses or adjacent businesses to mine who do have higher margins and probably on an you know, annual basis, at least in terms of their percentage of income, make, make more. Um, but to me, I believe that a better business strategy is to be able to attract the best talent that you can and retain the best talent that you can. And that means making people happy, which means allowing them to work remotely, giving them free health care, giving them you know four months of paid maternity and paternity leave, um, all of these different things, because ultimately, as a result, they will be happy, they will be stable, they will do good work, and then that frees me up to come up with new ideas to pursue, whether it's things that make us more money or things that I just find intellectually interesting, but either way... I'm effectively buying my freedom um, with a lower profit margin. But I do think that you've got two very different schools of thought around both the, the role of employees and then even the role of, of businesses. We've talked about this on podcasts before, which is, you know, up until recently, the accepted view of a corporation was the Milton Friedman University of Chicago view, which is a corporation is there to provide maximum profits to its shareholders. And that was just widely accepted. And I don't totally disagree with it, by the way. And then in the last five to 10 years, I think, and this is some influence of, of the American left, uh, and probably Piketty and others too, um, you've seen the, the definition reinterpreted by some people, most notably the Business Roundtable, and saying a corporation exists not just to maximize profit for shareholders, but to be a, a force for good in society, right? Um, that, to me, is a very big departure. So you could argue Hobbes would have been um, Milton Friedman and Rousseau would have been, you know, uh, the Business Roundtable. This is probably the first time anyone's ever compared Seriously, Business Roundtable to Rousseau. A, a, a I think they, they should send me a check. I think the, yeah. I think the Business Roundtable has a, has a keener sense of public relations than that. I don't know. I, don't I know wonder how, if they like I, it or not. I don't know how like genuine it. all that is. But let's say it is. Um, do you think it's important in in relationships, in business relationships, or any other relationships, friend relationships, to have like a like 
for that for there to be differing kind of uh, positions on this on the spectrum we're talking about. Yeah. So, so so having someone in the company who's has has a maybe a darker Hobbesian view, not so that they can go torture employees or whatever, but 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 so that they they keep you. I need different kinds of personalities for different types of roles, and there are people who we have at various different companies or entities that we run that are useful to me because they are the person that I could call and say, go get this thing done, and they'll get it done. Or go talk to these people and make them feel good. You know, and sort of the opposite, but right. that will happen. Or whatever the personality type is. So yes, very deliberately, there are people who, and by the way, I get the most complaints about those people usually from other people, but it's sort of like, no, I need this person, they're valuable, and you have to trust that I know what I'm doing. Right. Um, and that you can deal with some of the yeah, aftermath and, of that. Yeah, and I, and I manage it you know, as, um, as best I can. I think among friends, yeah, it's more interesting to have people with it's good different to have assholes as friends, do you think? You know, it's interesting. How many so, asshole friends do you have? Like people who everyone else thinks is an asshole, but you're like, I, I like them fine. I'm fine with that. Not that many, I think. Um, can you think of anyone? Huh. I mean, there are some people who I've political friendships with that I find intellectually interesting that are controversial, right? Um, so there's some of that, I guess. Um, of my friends, now, you know, the funny thing is most of my friends are the same friends that I made in college, in my first couple of jobs out of college, you know, through school, like how you and I met through our, our kids' school. Um, and it hasn't really changed all that much, whether my career was, you know, in government or in tech or in politics or philanthropy or anything else. So, you know, I've had a pretty consistent thing. And I guess as people, in my view, turn into assholes, which sometimes happens, you know, you distance yourself from them. And by the way, maybe they distance themselves from me, right? Maybe some of the friendships that I had 20 years ago that I don't have today are not because I distance, I thought they were assholes and I wanted a little bit of room, but they thought I was an asshole and they wanted a little bit of room. Um, I don't know, but I, I do like having, you know, part of our friendship is based on the fact that we will sort of have different points of view and we can have an interesting conversation about it and it's fun for both of us, right? So, yeah, I mean, I would definitely would encourage that. With that said, I think the hub, because of Trump, it became so polarized that the Hobbesian point of view now, if you had a friend that was espousing a very Hobbesian point of view, because of your, subconsciously, because of your dislike for Trump, you might ascribe more negative uh, views and feelings to that person than you would have otherwise. Right. Okay, this is a, it's, it's not a, it's not a totally off-subject question, but it's, it's, you, so you picked these three kind of historical figures to talk about. And it got me thinking, I was like, wow, so Bradley wants to talk about, like, you know, Hobbes or so, Locke. Um, who are the people today? I, I, I was trying to think of who, I was trying to answer this question for you. Yeah. Like, who are people today that you read, like, like commentators or writers or philosophers of any kind, that you have a real impact on you? That, you know, not just like the random thought here or there, but that you yeah. follow or you, like, if they're going to have another book, you're going to read it. Or yeah. if they have a column or you, like, they, they have a sort so, of... So, for me, I think it's behavioral economics, right? Okay. Partly shaped by the fact that I did go to the University of Chicago, so I sort of was taught it and found it really fascinating. Um, and behavioral economics can, can cover a lot of grounds. It could be happiness science, so that's an Arthur Brooks, uh, a Gretchen Rubin, a Dan Gilbert, someone like that. 
Or it could be much more around um, how do you get people to behave in certain ways through different types of incentives, whether it's government incentives, tax incentives, personal, whatever else. And that could range from like uh, a Cass Sunstein to uh, Stephen Dubner and Steve Levitt, um, or, you know, a whole bunch of different people in that realm. So, you know, t- to me, those are the areas that I tend to find the most interesting. Um, I-, I think I would like theology if I spent a little more time reading it. Um, and, you know, next time we have Bob on, we, Bob, of course, because it's Bob, has a PhD in theology, apart from everything else. Um, How many PhDs in th- theology played on the Yale football team, do you think? Is, that, is he, the, is he a, a unique case? Well, I don't think the Yale football team, I guess the question is, how many people who played Division I football then chose to get a theology PhD right. and do all the stuff that Bob does? So, and his dad is a blues musician. Yeah, and played for the Dolphins. His dad did? Yeah, I think he like, it was a short career, but I think he did. I mean, think about Bob's so the size of an NFL player, right? Yeah, he is. Yes. Yeah. Yes, he uh, is. But he, Bob said to me, and I think, I believe him, he's a really honest guy, he was good enough to play like, in the European versions of American football or like Canadian, like he felt like he probably could have caught on and had something of a career right. there, but obviously he's a brilliant fucking dude. And it's like, I'd rather use my mind. Didn't want to cripple himself. I think it's worked out pretty well. So should we pivot to the, yeah, we should pivot. To the stupid games? Right. I feel like maybe Do you want stupid games? Well, I kind of, how, how long games? did we just spend on, on this stuff? Mm, 22 minutes. All right. Like yeah, let, let's pivot to the stupid games. Okay. So, so this is completely the opposite of everything we've just been talking about. So I was watching the hot dog eating contest on the, Fourth of July, uh, as I do every single year. Um, and do people in your family join you, or is that a solo mission for sometimes you? Sometimes I can get Lyle to watch it. Sometimes I can't. Bob watches it, and we text throughout. Oh, you do? Yes. Oh, nice. Um, <laughs> so that's sort of my closest, you know, uh, friend around that. Um, how many? How many times have you watched? Do you think? 20, I mean, how many years have they had it? Most of them, I think. Long time. Yeah, I mean, from the Kobayashi days to the Joey Chestnut's won the last fifteen. I think I've seen most of those. Have you met Joey Chestnut? No, I haven't. I've Should we only, have him on the podcast? You know, I, the only reason I have him on the podcast is to kind of like poke fun at everything, and I wonder if he gets really tired of that. Why would you poke fun at it? The though? absurdity of of his job. I feel that's too obvious to poke fun at him, though. I mean, he's a he's a he's a world class athlete. Yeah, I, I believe that. Right. So I've only been to one competitive eating event. It was Bob competed. I think I've told the story on the podcast before. Did you tell right? it on the podcast? It was pizza, have. right? He didn't do pizza. very well. Yeah, he looked, he was eating so much so fast. And Sonia Thomas, the black widow who weighs like 110 pounds, she kicked his ass. Yeah. Um, I think we did mention yeah, it. Yeah, we did so, already. So anyway. Actually, you know so, what? You said it at dinner the other night with, um, with Jamie. Uh, with Jamie. So, so. so here's here was the question that we led to, which is, if you were to put together an Olympics of just the stupid games, right? Things that I are think you need a better name than stupid, stupid? games. I think okay. you do. But we'll, we're going to have to keep working on that. In fact, um, reader, listener, I was about to call listeners readers. Why did I do that? But um, in the same way, you know, we offered the free coffee. Yeah. Um, last week, I think we should have a prize for someone who sends us a good idea for the name for the stupid games. But you're going to have to better explain than what coffee. It is. All right. So, so here was the notion, and okay. I think the stupid games, or whatever we're going to call it falls into two different categories. One are sports that are really fun that you might play um, that are not captured in the Olympics or anything else. But if you saw professional cornhole, professional mini golf, professional axe throwing, things like that, you might say, oh, that's, that's pretty interesting. I'd like to check that out. The second category would just be Legitimately stupid shit, like the IFOCE, as we all know, the International Federation of Competitive Eating. As we all know. Um, the belly flop competition that you sent me uh, Instagram Pretty amazing, this right? morning. Yep. Uh, someone else sent me a video of pig racing the other day. 
So how does pig racing work? Do you do you, the pig runs by itself, or you're with the pig? No, the pigs the pigs race each other. Okay. In in kind of a pen. Mm-hmm. Um, and they seem to, you know, whatever incentives get horses and dogs and other things to race seem to work with pigs, too. Even though pigs are, I think, much more intelligent. Well, the horse has the jockey. That's a big difference, right? Yeah, there was no one riding the pigs. <laughs> no one at all. Um, so, you know, falconry, uh, to me, is highly amusing. Um, is falconry a good like sport to watch? Have you ever watched it? No, I don't. Know, like, I don't know. Think of everything that's on TV, and you never hear about the falconry Do you know what would be up? cool with falconry if you did it in Manhattan? But the falconry had to return with an animal of some kind in its mouth. Oh, that's good. Like a, a rat, a pigeon. And the more, the bigger and more creative yeah. you get, that's right. how you get points. Like a dog, like somebody's right. little so dog. If someone comes back with a zebra, like they win, right? A Especially because there's no zebras in Manhattan. Um, I bet there's a zebra at the Central Park Zoo. No? The Bronx Zoo, yes. The Central Park Zoo, I'm going to guess. So keep in mind, when I worked at the Parks Department for four years, you my know window this shit, right? overlooked the Central Park Zoo. Yeah. Um, I don't recall zebras, although it could They need more space probably than they have there. They need more space or they need to... We tried to focus it more as just a kid's facility, and I still think that was the right direction for it. Can I add one sport to yeah. this? I, this is from taken completely from, uh, from, the, from the Top Gun sequel. They play beach football where... They play with two footballs, so the teams are on offensive and defense simultaneously. How does that work? Well, you just you have to defend and play offense at the same time. Is that fun or just? It of... looked amazing, I have to say. I mean, it, it, it was very confusing. Try that. that could be fun. Yeah, I mean, if, it, if you're organizing it, it look, it's a stupid. Count me in. It's the stupid. Certainly games. stupid, right? Um, and so then, well, and then also the last one on this list was you remember that movie, The Running Man, with Arnold Schwarzenegger? Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, like want, a, a real life version of that. You want that in there? Yeah, they don't kill the person at the end, but they have to capture. So it. is this now that now that your bookstore is up and running and everything? Is this your is next, the next crazy? No, the next like, thing is the Hall of Very Good Players, which we're, oh my we god, before oh, and this, you're involved in it. Yes. We're actually uh, hiring someone to run it in the next week or so. You you have a say in the in the decision, and then we're going to start building. it. So this is this is after that. The stupid games. I'm not sure if this will ever happen or not. But here's my question. So I was thinking, okay, so it's not that hard to make a list of what should be in the stupid games or whatever you want to call it. How you execute it, there's a lot of different options, right? So one would be it's sort of Battle of the Network star style, right? Where you just have celebrities celebrities doing all of these things. People love celebrities. Maybe maybe now they're YouTube influencers and, and TikTok I like, I like and this, things right. like that. That's one category. Okay. Um, and look, if you put Mr. Beast on something, Lyle's going to watch it, right? Yeah. So, so am I. Yeah. <laughs> you don't hear Mr. Beast fan? No. Um, the second one would be have truly great athletes trying all of these kind of stupid sports and see if they can elevate it or not. Like, it, does it turn out that the best decathlete in the world is incredible at cornhole because they're the fucking best athlete in the you world? You know what? I bet they are. I bet they are good at cornhole. Probably so, right? You know, like, move, you do hear about, like, uh, baseball, baseball and basketball players being amazing golfers like Steph Curry or Mookie Betts is supposed to be, like, one of the best bowlers in I the world. I watched the New York Giants football team play pickup basketball once. I was amazed. They yeah, they were probably pretty good, right? Yeah. yeah. Good. So, so that's the second would be... Great athletes, whether it's athletes we don't know because they're more Olympians, but they're super talented, or you know, current famous athletes are obviously not going to do it. They'll be prohibited by contract, but it could be like the big three. Like, could you okay, get Okay, so those athletes? are the two. Is there a and third then the one? Third would just be like you. No, oh. <laughs> would be the the best of each category itself. I'm sure there's some there. Oh. I know for a fact. Well, that's the way to do it. The yeah, third way the, is the, the way to do it. The best cornholers. I mean, I've I've watched cornhole on ESPN too. So, but I, then I you know. have countries. So you should see like, could the United States be like a like rack up the gold medals in the stupid games, or would it be like some weird country? Do you not want that? And also, if like, you're a country it, that can't really compete, 
you don't have the sort of resources to compete in the regular Olympics. It's just where you really make your move. Yeah. If you're like, it's like the Jamaican bobsled yeah, team. I can make don't... sure that we're really good at falconry. Like the Saudis are probably fucking amazing at falconry. That's right? going to be a tough one to learn though. Because you could train a bunch of people to be like cornhole players, but like falconry? That, yeah. uh, now for mini golf, because one, I don't think there's a professional mini golf league that I've ever heard of. It, I think it'd be really fun. And I don't watch golf at all, but I think it'd be fun to watch like Tiger Woods and who else? Rory McIlroy, whatever these people are. They must have done this, to right? To do mini golf. They, somebody must have made them do this. Uh, I think maybe they would consider it too humiliating. Right. Maybe the Saudis could do what they've done to regular golf and just pay like hundreds of millions of dollars yeah. to like have a mini golf. Okay. We're going to do one last thing. Yeah. It, is this stupider than the Super Games? Or No, it's not the really stupid. The encyclopedia people at the airports? No. It's the, just the Washington Post yesterday had a really fun piece uh, that I sent to Hugo, which is they, they basically came up with categories of the types of people that you'll meet at the airport. And what was fun about it was I was trying to be very, very intellectually honest and figure out where do I fall Well, there's only category. one to be, right? You, there's one category in there where you're like, that's the only one you really want to be. I'd be, unfortunately, I think I'm not, you know, in most of the good ones. So the first one is the runner. So you have people just sprinting through the airport. You can't go through all of them. There's like no. 20 of them. No. Well, it's really fast. I'm not a, I don't run through the airport, do you? No, never. Done. All right. Uh, someone who is on their phone and literally bumping into people. Because that, could, that could be you. That's not, nah, it's not really me. I'm you talk on your focused. phone a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but I'm, I'm looking. Okay. <laughs> um, people who crowd in front of the gate like an hour before. To no, I up. never do that. No, I hate that. Me. Yeah. Right. The infrequent flyer who like. No, no, forget it. Doesn't no, have no, their. No, no, doesn't take their no, phone. Doesn't have the their thing. shit together. Right. Um, the dad, which is a little confusing, but I think it's basically someone who. Just spent, I'll read this, the last hours wrangling his family to finish packing and get in the car, heaving their luggage high into a cart, five bags high, successfully rolling through the terminal. I've definitely been that. I just never let anybody take that much shit in my family. Like, if there's too much stuff, that just does not happen and we don't you use prevent it. it. Everyone has to carry their own shit. Do you ever shit. fly with pets? No. So we've done this plus the dog, and it's brutal. Ooh, yeah. Um, so I, the influencer, so this would be people who, like, are making TikToks at the airport. That's yeah, not either of us. Um, <laughs> The zombie, so people who just look like they're totally whacked out on fentanyl or whatever it is, <laughs> listening to music. Um, people sleeping, no sleeping at the gate. Um, I generally don't, but I once took a red eye from Sacramento to Atlanta, so it was 3 a.m. New York time. That's a random And I did fall asleep at the gate, and someone was nice enough to wake me up because I totally would have missed so the flight otherwise. Um, the minimalist, so someone with... So this is the only way to go, I think. This is me. Like, right. If I'm traveling personally... Take no shit. I, I, you know, did you hear that, I, I learned this years ago, that Anna Wintour would have her um, luggage FedEx to Paris when she would go for like the shows or whatever, and I was like, that's the only way to do it. Just FedEx uh, your Well, we do that luggage. with our ski stuff. So if I'm going out west, we FedEx those clothes and the skis. Did you do the Anna Wintour on your Yeah, on your exactly. No, it was. But yeah, I mean, that's... Though if you take nothing, so once I remember I went to LA. You took nothing, and I was coming back on the. I don't do red eyes anymore, but I was coming back on the red eye, and the only thing I took me was a phone charger, and it kind of freaked people out a little bit. Like the Uber drivers, like where's your stuff? You literally had not even like a little backpack nothing. or anything. Just I had a phone, phone charger, charger in my pocket. Like wow. it, the, the flight attendants, everyone was a little disturbed. Right, by they it, thought actually. maybe you're a terrorist. Yeah, it seemed yeah. too too weird. Um, the pre gamers drinking heavily before flights. I don't drink anymore, really but, I, but I've but I've done that. Yeah, before, of course, back in the day. Has, yeah. Um, people who are sprawled out throughout the gate. That makes me crazy. I agree. Um, it's disgusting. Lovebirds, so people who are like PDA in the airport, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> that I've never seen. Lovebirds in the airport? Yeah, I haven't seen much of that either. <laughs> um, the tantrum, seen that obviously. Yeah. I like that's not me. The James Bond, people look like they step right out of GQ. I don't ever look like that, so I certainly look like yeah, that on, me neither. on a flight. Pass. 
And then the pilot, they're right about this. I'm going to read this. It shouldn't be surprising to see a pilot at the airport, and yet it's always weird. What are they doing out here rolling their suitcase through the terminal with the rest of us? I think that's right. It's a good way to end it, I do it think too. it's strange. So, all right. Did, wait, did you want to quickly do the TV shows? No, we're going to do it because I, I actually want to talk about it. We're, we're, we're going to talk to about sh- The Bear. You want to this is a show that, that, that Bradley recommended to me set in Chicago in a, in a, like a sandwich shop. Italian beef. Um, and it's... It's excellent, but I have a bunch of things I want to talk to Bradley about, so we're going to actually do that for next week. Cool. All right. Thanks, Hugo. Bye-bye.